Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. All right, welcome to the first episode of the 1,000 Recordings podcast. I'm, your, I'm going to be your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me every week is going to be my co-host, the illustrious Mitchell Davis. What's up, man? <laughs> What's going on, illustrious? I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, maybe I'll come up with like a different adjective every week to uh, describe you or something. But yeah, um, <laughs> um, I'm good, man. I'm I'm excited about uh, this new podcast and talking about all this music. Now, uh, let us just explain real quick what this podcast is going to be all about, since it's the very first one. I discovered this book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, about a year ago. I was turned on to it by a friend of mine, Scott Simmons, and uh, I'd seen a lot of books like this before in the past, a lot of similar books uh, that I was not really that impressed with. This one, however, I was really impressed with. It's uh, The author of the book is Tom Moon, and he did an unbelievably great job incorporating really every conceivable genre that you could that you could think of into this book um, in compiling these 1,000 albums that's kind of a essential listening list for any, you know, audiophile or music nerd. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just really wanted to have an excuse to go through this book and hear every album, and this is the best excuse that I could come up with to, to do a podcast on it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then I I brought in my friend Mitchell Davis. Yeah, what do you think of the book, Mitch? Oh, I love it. I love it. I you know just going through and and rooting out some of the things that I already know that I I, I would love, and then finding new things to discover. Uh, you know, it's 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 a great great book. You know, great reference guide for those who you know who may be like you say new music nerds who. Who listen to a variety of things, and then and then have some genres of music that they you know don't really know much about. But uh, this is just a great starter for someone who just wants to get into new music and then find their way through things like classical or maybe bossa nova or, or country or whatever, you know, and and just branch out. Yeah, yeah, awesome, and. Um... We uh, just a little bit about of uh, where we're coming from. A little bit of background on us. Um, I met Mitch like 16 years ago. I think um, we both worked at a music store, record store, and uh, in Houston, Texas. And um, this was an environment where you know two music nerds can really um, go crazy, um, like kids in candy stores uh, or like kids running around Toys R Us really just, um, you know, diving into all kinds of albums and just having access to kind of unlimited access uh, if you have uh, this sort of insatiable musical curiosity. And um, yeah, I was working there. Mitch was uh, my boss. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um yeah, and, and so and, and really back then I was um, 
I don't know, it was maybe 19 or 20. Um, I don't know how old you were, Mitch, but you, you were a little older than me. Somewhere in that um, neighborhood. I was probably about 22, 23 years old. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, we both had, obviously, you know, music that we liked growing up with. And I think we both kind of came from um, a little bit different backgrounds, you know. So uh, we had uh, kind of interest and expertise in, in different kinds of music. And I know Mitch really opened my eyes back then to uh, a lot of music that I'd never been exposed to before. And um, I always tell people this or, you know, told my wife this, you know, uh, years ago, actually, before we even reconnected, um, that you were really kind of my first music professor. I mean, really, that's how I think of it. Um, and uh, before I went to music school and all that stuff. And uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I was thinking about this the other day that uh, my my parents um, I'm grateful, especially my mother. They pretty much let me, you know, even at a younger age, kind of listen to whatever I wanted to. I mean, especially when it came to the radio. And back in the days where, you know, radio, you know, I would go up from, you know, one end of the dial to the other just listening to various things on radio stations. You, I just had one of those musical palettes where I would get bored with the same stuff that would get played on the radio over and over. And, and I was like, okay, what's, what's on this station, you know? And, and my parents, I think they, they kind of encouraged that, you know, wanting you to be broader and, you know, just, Hey, listen to different stuff. And I, I, I definitely appreciate that, you know, now looking back, you know, where they just kind of left me alone in that sense. Um, and then going back to where we worked, um, you know, I had a period where I worked at warehouse and that was good for me because I saw everything that came in that store and everything that left that store. Yeah. And, uh, it, it just allowed me to kind of, you know, get a feel for certain things that I never would have been exposed to otherwise. And I, you know, I love working in the back room of, of a record store. You're, you're on your own for the most part. You can listen to whatever you want to, and it's uninterrupted. And you know, I was—that's one of the best jobs I ever had. <laughs> right, right, right. And I mean, you know, a lot of those people that work in those record stores in the back rooms—I mean, really—they are kind of backroom professors, you know, because they're exposed to so much music, and they become these, you know, encyclopedias of music. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. That was a, it. Was a. That that was a huge influence on me. I mean, I was already, you know, leaning that way where I just wanted to know more. And and like I said, having, you know, just a variety of things come in front of me. Like I can remember the very first time um I saw certain things would come through. Uh, like Dr. Dre's album The Chronic. Um And which you introduced me to, by the way. Yeah, and see the the, the thing about that record is when it first came out, I mean I knew that people had been talking about it, you know. You know, Dre from NWA has got a solo album coming out, man. It's supposed to be really good. I was like, okay, man, whatever. And then the day that it came out, I think we had two cassettes in one CD. <laughs> cassettes. <laughs> and I, was just, I just scratched my head and looked and was like, okay, if this album is supposed to be so big. You know, what does that say about us? I mean, it was kind of like an indictment on that company that we worked for at the time where right. we knew that the people 
were doing the buying, you know, kind of didn't really have a clue. <laughs> and, uh, you know, needless to say, that album went on to kind of revolutionize, you know, rap and, and hip hop music, you know, for the next coming generation of heads, so to speak. And uh, it was just little moments like that. I look back on a smile, you know, just that I was I was there when when this came out and got to push this and, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, what was I going to say? I just lost it. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, the record store, uh, you know, there was a point in that when I did work in that record store that sort of led me to where I am now. Um, you know, I grew up mostly listening to rock music. I mean, I mean, my parents, when I was little, you know, I heard a lot of, um, they play a lot of, you know, Billy Joel and Elton John and the Beatles and, um, even some like really old country music, like, uh, Ricky Skaggs and, um, stuff like that. But anyway, um, but I didn't really hear, you know, a lot of certain, not a lot of classical. And I I didn't hear, you know, any, um, R and B or soul or, or, um, anything like that, you know, when I was growing up. Um, and when I came up through my teen years, you know, I, uh, played guitar and played in a lot of bands, rock bands, metal bands, whatever. Um, that's kind of my background. And then when I was working at the record store, um, one of the bands that I always really liked, if you even remember this band in the, from the nineties, faith, no more. Remember that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They oh, had yeah, this definitely. song, um, uh, off their second album called malpractice. And anyway, at the end of this song, um, they actually sampled, uh, they have these little samples from Dmitry Shostakovich, eighth string quartet. Now, of course, mm-hmm. at the time I didn't know, what it was. I just heard it and I, I, you know, it sounded really cool. So I went in the lining notes or liner notes and, um, I saw, you know, it's, it was, uh, sampled from, you know, Kronos quartet album, black angels, just actually in this book. Um, and, yeah, uh, ironically, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I, I posted something from, from that record the other day. Yeah. I, I love that. That was really good. Yeah. Uh, and, um, so any of like, chase down the street by some birds <laughs> right <laughs> right and uh so yeah that was the, my first really um introduction to classical music was through this metal band and then after that um i went to music school to become a composer and i went all the way through music school got my doctorate um and became a composer and um you know i've had my music played really all over the world not just here but in europe and in the middle east and and all over the place and um i'm a professor of music now so yeah and that all started right there in that music store yeah never never frown on humble beginnings you (laughs) never know where you're gonna go that that's amazing so so yeah so that's that's kind of where we're coming from and um but you know we're, we're both really you know just I don't know. I mean, I think as far as our, our musical appetite and our musical um, curiosity, I, I don't think we've changed. <laughs> you know, no, I think we're not really. Yeah, I think we're pretty much the same as we were, you know, back then. So um, so we're going to go through this book. 
basically right through from A to Z. And uh, what we're going to be doing is playing two excerpts from each album, so you'll sort of get a sense of um, uh, what the album sounds like as a whole. And uh, we're going to do five albums per episode, which will, in the end, give us 200 episodes. Um, I, You know, that's the idea. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the goal. Um, and uh, the first episode... Uh, I feel weird about this, but it's the um, it's the first thing in the book is ABBA. Is we're starting with ABBA, <laughs> the Swedish mega band ABBA. Um, <laughs> so uh, I I know the um, the two tracks we're going to play excerpts from are Dancing Queen and Voulez-vous, uh, if you guys know this. And um, really, ABBA, um, I I have no past experience with ABBA, um, especially growing up, you know, I was, um, too busy trying to play master of puppets or something, um, in my room on my guitar. <laughs> um, I mean, ABBA <laughs> was like, they were like out of my universe. Uh, um, I never listened to ABBA until I went with my mom, um, to the movies to see Mamma Mia. That was, <laughs> that was the first time. Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, but you have some memory of ABBA from your, from your childhood. Yeah. Just the, the, a long, long string of hits, you know? And I mean, I, I know that they, they have this following, you know, that, that dates all the way back to when they first started. Um, you know, this, the way they sounded, the way they looked, you know, the, the two singers that, you know, harmonized together and the, the guys that, that wrote most of the music and, you know, had these, you know, string or, you know, arrangements in the background that, you know, if you didn't really pick up on it, you know, you would, you would not realize how, you know, complex some of those songs actually are, but, but simple enough to where, you know, you know, they were like pop hits yeah. and, um, you know, they were one of those groups that like I said, you know, they, I could just remember them having just hit after hit after hit, you know, and then, you know, like we we had talked earlier. I mean, they, they even made a movie about them where it was just, you know, them on tour and, um, you know, this guy following them around and, you know, you're, you're just like, you know, who wants to see a movie about, you know, ABBA? Apparently, I mean, a lot of people did because, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's you, you can go to Netflix now. The ABBA movie is there, I believe. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. And uh, you know they they've kind of you know withstood the test of time. I, I I think the remaining members you know still are real popular. One of the guys in the band I think passed away uh, not too long ago, but uh, yeah, I was still going strong. You know they have a museum, mm-hmm. uh, and like you said, the the movie Mamma Mia. You know that I, ironically when that movie came out, I guess Batman. You know the Dark Knight movie was out, and I guess to kind of you know, get everyone who was just not into that, you know, they, they had Mamma Mia come out and it, it was a massive hit, you know, just, you know, for all the people who just weren't into Dark Knight, you know, they, and there were a lot of people apparently. You know, when you, when you just said that, I just got this image in my mind of, uh, you know, watching Mamma Mia, you know, then like singing up on the Italian villa and then, and having, uh, Heath Ledger's Joker just jump in strapped with explosives. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, <laughs> that's how my mind works. Um, <laughs> so let's let's just go ahead and play the first excerpt that we're going to play from uh, their mega hit, uh, Dancing Queen. This is kind of like a, I don't know, a perfect study in pop music, I guess you could say. Um, and uh, yeah, let's just check it out. Um, Dancing Queen. Right, so that was Dancing Queen from ABBA and uh, yeah you know people are the ones who love ABBA um, are are usually just really nuts about ABBA um, it's kind of one of those things where you know if you don't really get ABBA you're probably never going to which I, I, I mean admittedly I'm, I'm one of those people um, I don't think they I don't think they suck but but um they just you know they don't really do that much for me personally but i i i've known people in the past that are crazy about abba that love abba i mean we were talking about netflix and i mean just the other day i was watching um this uh they just put this Jamie Oliver show on there Oliver's Twist this was cooking show with this british dude and um in the show you know every time he'll invite just these people up into his flat and cook for them. And one of the episodes was this ABBA, these four people, you know, two girls, two guys, they weren't even a tribute band. They just literally walked around all day, every day dressed up as ABBA. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, so these are the kind of the people that, um, people just that love ABBA really love ABBA. Um, uh, so yeah, the next track we're going to play is Voulez Vous. I, I really don't know if this, uh, how big of a hit this was. I don't know. Do you know? It was, it was pretty big. One, one of the biggest ones, definitely. Okay. Uh, it's just, just another one of those songs that just, they, they, their hits were so polished the way they sounded. Oh you yeah. Know? It was just like, you, you just want to go ice skating, you know, when you hear all that. I don't know how to ice skate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is a straight-up disco tune, and um, I actually, you know, uh, this is one of those tunes that I had not heard at all. I've never heard this tune um, when I was going through the album. This one's really caught my ear. I really like it. I, I really like this track. I think it's really cool, and um, it, it has a little different vibe from Dancing Queen, even though it is uh, uh, straight-up uh, disco, and it's got that... Uh, tone to it that I think it kind of makes me smile and kind of laugh because 
it's got this really serious tone. It's a straight up disco, but with a really serious tone to it. And so I can just picture these people in the late seventies with these really serious looks on their face, you know, dancing to this tune. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. Anything you want to say about Voulez Vous? No, just uh, like I said, a, a, just another big hit from them. You know, they like like you said, they 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 have these songs. You, you find yourself smiling, you know, where you're like, you know, am I smiling? You know, is it because of the song <laughs> and and it, it, their their music is infectious? You know, I mean, they had like I said, the, the the two ladies in the group. You know, they were both really good looking. You know, and the, the guys kind of looked like you know they they could be brothers. You know, they kind of had that same haircut. I mean, they. Yeah. They had this whole image going and the whole sound going that uh, I think they influenced so many different groups as as time went on. Um, you know, like one group that came to my mind the other day when I was thinking about them uh, was the B-52s where they, they had two right. singers, like two female singers that would sing off each other in harmony. And then basically two other guys in the background, you know, playing the music. Well, I guess in, in Fred Snyder, too, which, you know. Yeah, they had three at one point, you know, and then like Ace of Base way, way on down where, you know, they they kind of did the same thing. And, yeah. you know, I was in it's really is, you know, it, it's a lot heavier than most po- most folks will admit, you know, and, I, and even myself, you know, I'm someone who I've admired them quite a bit. But it's not one of those things that I just scream from the mountaintop that I love. Abba, you know, just <laughs> for my own personal reasons. Right, right, and one of the guys, one of the guys' name is uh, Bjorn, and you know, if your name is Bjorn, you're awesome, no matter what. Uh, <laughs> uh, so here it is, uh, an excerpt from Abba's "Voulez-vous." We just heard Voulez-vous from ABBA. And uh, incidentally, that means, I think it means would you in French. I'm pretty sure that's what that means. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're going to move on to the next album in the book, which is called Moorish Music from Mauritania by Demi Mint ABBA and Khalifa Uld Aide. Um, 
and uh, I actually looked where Maritanya was because um, I'm, I guess, a little ashamed to admit this, but I'd never even heard of the country before. Um, yeah, same here. Yeah, <laughs> so I I knew you know it's it's a country in Africa, uh, northern Africa. I didn't really know where it was, um, so I opened up the old Google Earth and uh, looked. And really, it's kind of um, it's it's uh, northwestern Africa. It actually goes all the way to the coast of the Pacific, and uh, really most of the country is taken up by the Western Sahara desert. So I think most of it's pretty much uninhabitable except for, you know, when you get closer to the coast, but, um, yeah. So, uh, this, you know, this music is, um, more influenced by the Islamic music, um, of Northern Africa and obviously the Middle East, um, than it is the sub-Saharan, uh, music that you would normally um, associate with Africa, you know, these sort of um, with a lot of percussion instruments and really polyrhythmic um, music, you know, from sub-Saharan Africa. There's a little bit of that in there, but it really is mostly um, Islamic in in nature. So um, we're going to play a couple, a couple tracks from this, Yar Allahu, uh, which I have no idea what that means, and um, Mauritania, my beloved country. So, um, yeah, anything uh, you want to say about this? Yeah, I, I, I like the the very first track we're going to play. I, I like it a lot. It, you like I said, it, it's one of those where you can the Islamic influence is is really heavy. I mean, you can hear that in the in the instrumentation, but I I think that the the sub-Saharan or or traditional African type folk music, it, it's there too. It's pretty strong. I mean, you know, it's, especially in the vocal and in the, the 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 arrangement there. You know, and I I'm not someone who's you know you know really steeped in African music, but you know, obviously Africa was one of those countries where influences you know are there's a multitude of them. You know, because of the the, the size of the country and and, and where it sits, and uh, this is just one of those. Uh, tracks that you know kind of you know grabbed me from the very beginning um where the the vocalist is is almost like chanting you know in yeah. you know, style and and i i like this one a lot yeah i mean uh demi mint abba is the the main singer of this and her husband khalifa old aide he mainly plays um accompanies her on either the Tidinit, which is like a four-stringed instrument, or the guitar. Uh, and I think sometimes it's an acoustic guitar, sometimes it's an electric guitar. Um, but he's always playing in this, you know, in this native style to Mauritania, this, again, this style that blends uh, African, sub-Saharan African and Islamic uh, influences. And um, uh, in this track, Yar Allahu, I'm going to play an excerpt kind of towards the end where you get this call and response. So um, the main singer will sort of sing a phrase and then as in typical um, Islamic and Middle Eastern music, you'll have this kind of chorus almost behind them, usually playing, also playing percussion instruments, but they don't have to be. And then they'll echo what this, you know, the main singer does. You'll hear this a lot in, um, 
music like uh, uh, Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan, well, he, he will have a lot of singers behind him um, and he'll, you know, rattle off some phrase and then they'll all echo that in, in unison. Then he'll rattle off some other phrase and they'll like all echo that. So that's what's going on here. And um, the two girls that are echoing are the, um, their daughters. So the daughters are back in the back playing yeah. percussion. Amp- yeah. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's re- it's really, really cool. So, um, yeah, let's listen to this, um, and listen to Demi Mint Abba's really fantastic voice, um, on this track, Yar Allahu. Okay, we just heard Yar Allahu from Moorish Music from Mauritania, and uh, we're going to play another track, Mauritania, My Beloved Country. Um, I think on Yar Allahu, uh, Khalifa Uld Aide was playing the Tidinit. On this one, he's playing guitar, and I think it's electric guitar. Um, but again, you know, adapted to this Islamic style. It's just really cool. I've never heard this kind of music done on electric guitar before. And this is obviously the African influence. I mean, you would not find um, an artist from the Middle East. Uh, I keep bringing up Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan because he's the one that I'm most familiar with. He's Pakistani, but um, you would never hear an electric guitar in, in Nusrat Fateh Ali Khan. Um, so yeah, I don't know anything you want to say about this one. No, let's let's let it fly. All right, awesome. So, this is Maritania, my beloved country. Look 
Okay, we just heard Mauritania, My Beloved Country by Demi Mint Abba and Khalifa Uld Aide. And uh, I think we're going to move right along to the Muhal Richard Abrams Orchestra and his album Blue, Blue, Blue. Um, that's blue with no E. So B-L-U, just to be clear. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, this album was released in 91, and uh, Muhal Richard Abrams... Um, is a uh, jazz musician that uh, came up in the 60s in the Chicago scene um, kind of the did a lot of free jazz and a lot of experimental jazz and um, uh, you know he put this album out in 91 with his own kind of orchestra that he put together uh, it's kind of a weird you know I shouldn't say weird it, it's an eclectic mix of uh, big band jazz um, really kind of small ensemble jazz, you know, that like a group you might hear on a Miles Davis kind of blue or something, just like a, a small jazz group. Um, experimental jazz. Uh, it, it's it's kind of this mix of all this stuff, kind of uh, sometimes all in the same track, where it'll jump from a small uh, group to a larger orchestra. In, the, in fact, that's one of the tracks we're going to play. One for the Whistler does that. But, uh, yeah, anything you want to say about this initially, about this record? Yeah, this is one I was glad to to find out about. This, like you said, very cool arrangement, very unique arrangement, uh, where you, you kind of hear stuff and you're like, you know, um, you know what what is that he's playing? Is that is that a, <laughs> right? Is that tuba? You know, and I think I think there's like a like a tuba on one of the tracks, and yep. you're just trying to you know you know go through and 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 you know take a listen and, and enjoy it. But you, yeah, there are certain things that stick out that that are not your know, traditional jazz, but it, it it sounds very good nonetheless. You know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it all sounds good. Well, you know, these all these musicians are obviously you know. <laughs> unbelievably fantastic musicians um that can you know the type of musicians that can really uh are so versatile that they can really do anything i mean they can uh play composed music so you know you put composed music in front of them uh like a classical musician and they can play that they can improvise they can you know they can deal with all these um i don't know these these tunes that change moods and uh genre and instrumentation almost um, sometimes like kaleidoscopically change you know and the, these musicians can deal with these pieces of Muhal Richard Abrams um, so it's really cool to listen to uh, these tracks all yeah. the way through unfortunately you know we can't play you uh, complete tracks um, so we're going to have to um, try to give you uh, a good sense with these excerpts but um, the first excerpt we're going to play is from one from one for the Whistler, and on one of the unusual things about this album is that he has a jazz Whistler on this record, uh, a dude that whistles jazz, <laughs> um, uh, and you know he's unbelievably good at it. Um, so. This excerpt is is kind of from the middle of the this track, one for the whistler, and the way this this tune starts is it it just starts at like a small jazz combo, so it's like a 
uh, really just a core jazz group of drums, bass, piano, and saxophone. So that's how it starts, really traditionally, almost something you would hear uh, in a jazz club, you know, maybe like 1960 or something. That That's kind of what it sounds like. And then it moves into the larger orchestra. Um, this is the part that we're going to get into. It sort of moves into different combinations of instruments, different com- combinations of brass instruments, saxophones. And then yeah. it moves into... So the very first part is a very traditional jazz with this improvised saxophone. Then it moves into this composed music. So music that's composed out on, you know on sheet music so they're reading directly from sheet music and it goes into this section that um is the whistle the jazz whistler doubled with a muted trumpet it's a it's a really unusual sound um Mm -hmm. i think the one part that i'm going to play is actually uh the whistler the muted trumpet and vibraphone so those three instruments all playing the same musical line and then the rhythm section is essentially a drum set and a tuba playing the bass line so really unusual combination of instruments um that he's getting with you know it's really cool i don't know what do you think yeah he kind of reminds me of uh charles mingus a little bit um where he you know he was like that where it was it could be very free, you know. I mean, it's just let's just bring stuff in and, and just try whatever. Whatever. I, I think you know somebody like like uh, Frank Zappa would have loved him. You know, he probably I agree. did. Yeah, he probably had some of his records. And I mean, you know, if we really you know dug into it, you know, just just somebody who who knew music, knew how to play it, knew how to write it, even, and then just would bring it to the table and you know and just let it let it roll you know and that, and that's really fun when you know someone who can who can translate you know what they want into song you know no matter what it takes you know that's that's a that's a great gift to have oh yeah definitely and uh, yeah I mean, i'm glad you said that there was parts of this song uh, especially where he has all these saxophones come in all harmonized together that kind of reminded me of parts of like peaches and regalia or something like that of frank zappa um but yeah, let's just um, listen to this and then we can talk about it some more. So this is uh, from One for the Whistler. Thank you. 
Okay, we just heard one from the whist- one for the Whistler. Sorry, <laughs> by the uh, Muhal <laughs> Richard Abrams Orchestra, and um, you know another thing that um, recent jazz composers, and that's that's really, I mean, Muhal Richard Abrams obviously is a great jazz musician, but he's also a jazz composer, and um, you know they're not just taking uh, their cues from jazz you know a lot of them are taking um inspiration from classical music as well and one of the things that he's doing that he's taken from a uh, uh, a lot of classical music i'm talking about uh, maybe from more 20th century stuff like igor stravinsky or something is like this concept of orchestration where he'll create new sounds by combining you know different combinations of instruments together to get a new sound like he did just there with the uh the whistler the muted trumpet and the vibraphone all playing the same thing you know they all have their individual sound but when they're all combined they kind of make a new sound yeah. uh, and uh he does that you know all over the place in this album really plays with the that that concept of orchest- orchestration you know um and uh, the next track we're going to play, or the, the excerpt, is from Stretch Time. Um, this is a pretty long track, I and mean, I wish we could play the whole thing so you could hear kind of the journey that, that he takes you on through this whole track. But um, this excerpt that I'm going to play, um, it starts with an improvisation uh, with a, an instrument that we don't really hear in jazz that much anymore, the clarinet. I mean, it used to be clarinet used to be like the jazz instrument you know back in the day you know with benny goodman and all all, and uh uh uh, several other players Uh, but you just don't really hear it that much you know in jazz anymore and i thought that was cool we have a great improvisation with clarinet then it goes into another sort of composed out part then it goes into uh i think is a slide whistle uh Sort of, and, and you know, I was listening to it, and I was like, you know, this this reminds me of like that um, that little metal owl from Clash of the Titans. If he he became a jazz musician, <laughs> I was watching that just yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. And then um, Bubo or something, I don't know, what was his name. Um, and then it goes into like a piano solo. So, um, yeah, anything you want to say about this one? Yeah, when you, when you talk about the clarinet, the the one person that comes to my mind is Don Byron. Um, he's the only person that when when I think of that instrument nowadays, uh, is someone who's who's still. I'm sure there are more, but he's the first person that comes to my mind. And um, you know, like you said, that was just one of those instruments for for whatever reason. I guess it just was not cool enough for a lot of people. But when when it's played, I, I love the sound of it. Um, clarinet even the oboe which i know some people that's you know the oboe what in the world you know i, I just love this the way the oboe and the clarinet both sound you know uh, I, i'm with you yeah even in even the slide whistle it's it's all of, i mean if you ever watch looney tunes you know that's just the, <laughs> that's just like the meat of, of those cartoons what uh-huh. what carl's doing you know i mean i if you listen to real close to what you know, music is playing in the background of Bugs Bunny being, you know, chased by whoever. You know, that's you know, clarinet and slide whistle and oboe and all kinds of, you know, obscure instruments, obscure now, 
like that. So, yeah, I mean, we're actually going to do uh, an album. Carl Stallings music is in here is in this book. Yeah. So, yeah. That. We're going to actually, actually end up uh, doing that. But um, yeah. So, okay. Let's just, uh, let's check this out. Um, this is stretch time. We just heard Stretch Time from the Muhal Richard Abrams Orchestra from his album Blue, Blue, Blue. And uh, let's move on to the next album, the fourth album of this show, Shaken the Rafters by the Abyssinian Baptist Choir. Uh, This album was released in 1960, which when I first started listening to this album for the show, for the purposes of the show, I didn't pay attention to um, when this thing was actually released. When I was listening to it, uh, I had no concept that it was this old. Uh, to me, it could have been released five years ago. Uh, it's uh, This is an album that, again, is uh, completely out of my universe. Uh, and I was blown away by this album. Uh, what do you think of, of this album? Oh, I, I I love it. I mean, it's you know, I, I love gospel choirs, especially ones where it, it's rocking. You know, I mean, because I mean, you 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 have you know certain, uh, what, I guess what you call you know gospel music or church music where it's it's a lot more laid back, you know, and and I guess uh, calm. But this is this is not that. I mean, this is you know, you know, I guess what you would call like you know gospel music that. Like you said, that that blows the roof off, blows the doors off. I mean, you know, I I, I loved it. You know, I, I and like you said, it 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 seems almost timeless in in a sense where you could listen to it now and it sounds like you know music you would hear on the radio now, gospel music. I mean, it's it, you know, it's 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 somewhat dated in the, and maybe what the recording sounds, but the actual performance is not dated at all. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, and I mean. Um, you can hear these uh, kind of unsung heroes, or uh, uh, just uh, these uh, these amazing performers that predated so many super famous soul singers um, that are really just as good or or better than yeah. <laughs> than the super famous ones. And you know, these are just regular people that lived in a regular community and. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but but they, they're 
you know, in, in a sense, they were not regular people because they're just unbelievably talented. These two singers, um, their features on the first track that we're going to play said, I wasn't going to tell nobody, um, singer, uh, Calvin white. And then, uh, Margaret Simpson. I just realized her name is Marge Simpson. Wow. But anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, she does not sound like Marge Simpson. Um, I'll, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Uh, but, um, these two singers, man, they just, they're out there unbelievable singers and not just the soloists, but the singers in the choir are, are man just that they're they're all out there they're unbelievably talented they're and they're just everything's at 11 on this you know mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I, and that 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 goes you know with with a lot of gospel music where you you have large groups of people and and, and obviously sometimes you know you you have people who sang in church and and go on to be very famous, you know, or Aretha Franklin, you know, first person that comes to mind, you know, who, you know, sang nothing but church music before she went on to become the queen of soul, you know. Um, but that that's just one of the, the legacies of gospel music that there are so many, you know, stars that you'll you'll never really know them, you know, per se. Yeah. You know, big but they are they could they could sing circles around people who are are very famous for singing so to speak yeah i mean like for instance i would have loved to have heard an album of aretha franklin and calvin white that would have been amazing yeah. that would have been amazing yeah but yeah. yeah um so yeah let's check this first track out um uh, i'm going to play an excerpt from kind of towards the end where um everybody's just crazy with uh the feeling i guess i don't know <laughs> um, and uh this is uh yeah towards the end of said i wasn't going to tell nobody just heard the end of said i wasn't going to tell nobody um like i said um those soloists were calvin white and uh margaret simpson um and uh yeah the next track we're going to play is from i want to ride that glory train um i don't know anything to say about this one um this is a song that you know 
like the the one before, you know, I, I, I the thing I love about gospel music is that you can you can kind of get off on a on a on a tangent, so to speak, where you know the the music almost takes over, you know, from the performer, and um, you know when when you're in church and and, and I mean. You know, I, I go to church on and off, but when you when you're in church when there's a, a, a gospel choir that that really is, is going, you know, so sometimes a, a, a song can come out of itself, so to speak. And um, you know, you never know when that's really gonna happen. Uh but when it does, you know, you just kinda, you know, hang on, so to speak, and and, and, <laughs> right. and just go with it and, and it can be a it can be a beautiful thing, you know, where where an arrangement kinda you know, changes, and I, I, that's what I love about gospel music. It, it, it at times is a lot like like jazz, where it, it can be free. You know, and and the song, it, it doesn't have to come off like it does, like it is on paper. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And um, yes. you know that that can always be really fun, really freeing. You know, when you're performing or or listening to it. Yeah, well, yeah, it's got that spontaneous energy you know that you you can't get with a lot of other kinds of music and you know one thing about the sound of this music um especially from the instruments it's got this piano that is uh the all the the only way i can put it it's like perfectly out of tune uh yeah yeah i know you know and um that piano mixed with the the hammond organ those two sound this this sort of well, like I said, perfectly out of tune piano mixed with this Hammond man creates this just, just great sound, you know? Yeah. To, yeah. Exactly. Um, all right. So, uh, let's check it out. Uh, I want to ride that glory train. We just heard I Want to Ride That Glory Train uh, by the Abyssinian Baptist Choir from their album Shaking the Rafters. And uh, we're going to get off that glory train and get on the highway to hell. Uh, <laughs> you like that transition? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we're going to check out uh, ACDC Back in Black. Um, you know, this music... Uh, we're taking a complete turn here uh, from the Abyssinian Baptist choir. 
I mean, the the you know the choir music we just heard was you know really from the soul, from the heart. You know, this music I'd say is more from the crotch uh, than any place else. You know, um, so yeah, ACDC back in black. Um, I don't know. You want to start off? <laughs> um, obviously, you know, just just legendary record uh, uh legendary even you know from from the performance stance where they you know they were one of those metal bands or hard rock bands that you know they were kind of you know at a turning point you know and i i think about them uh the way um uh, i think about metallica when when uh, they they had a member die and uh you know could have kind of fizzled out um, but didn't they? They seemingly got better, you know. Yeah. Uh, with with the death of uh, Bon Scott and, um, you know they they have totally been I I think like one of the you know icons for that for that type of music you know over the years where where metal bands you know before never really played like you know very large arenas or or, or stadiums. I mean I mean some were but not really and then. You know, they they kind of brought a lot of that to the forefront. You know, with uh, you know just concerts that were so loud that you know apparently it was affecting the way people would hear. You know, like days <laughs> after the concert. You know, and yeah. uh, you know that that's that's one of the things I think about with with ACDC. You know, just growing up in school and, and t-shirts and you know you know ACDC written on people's notebooks i mean it was you know they were just so very popular you know yeah yeah well let's um let's check out the an excerpt from the first track first then we can talk more about it uh we're going to play a little bit of you shook me all night long by acdc mentioned bon scott before dying uh, i mean this band kind of really lived what they sang you know what i mean yeah they yeah, yeah. yeah they sang it and they lived it um and uh, uh in the book in tom moon's book he actually says um uh that bon scott you know 
died in 1980. Um, and uh, on the coroner's report, on the on the official coroner's report, uh, the cause of death was he'd drunk himself to death. Yeah. <laughs> that was the official cause of death. Um, <clears throat> so uh, these guys, you know, weren't posers. <laughs> they were... Uh, they were the real deal, and they are the real deal. But, um, you know, I uh, saw a documentary one time on ACDC, and they were, uh, of course, talking about this when Bon Scott died and uh, what they were going to do. And they were interviewing another musician from another band from this period that were also big. I can't remember who it was now. But uh, they were saying, you know, that they knew Bon Scott died. You know, oh, you know what is ACDC going to do? They lost this guy who had a really distinctive voice and was a really important part of their sound and their, um, their success, you know, how are they going to replace Bon Scott? And then they released back in black, uh, two months after Bon Scott died. And this guy is like, you know, uh, and they have this singer that admittedly doesn't sound exactly like Bon Scott, but sounds similar. You know, they both have similar voices, and yeah. their their voices are very distinctive, and uh, you know to be able to find someone that quickly um, who is you know has a similar voice to what you had to, and can be a front man, you know, can be like a real front man. This guy on the documentary, I remember, he just looked uh, he just looked aghast. He was just like, you know, how the hell did they find this guy so quickly? Yeah, exactly. You know? um, but uh, that was uh, – I'm speaking of Brian Johnson, their uh, current yeah. singer. Um, and uh, from there, man, after this album got released, Back in Black, they were uh, worldwide famous from, from yeah, then I, on. I think about uh, – you know, we were talking about image and everything with, with ABBA. And, and one of the things with, with ACDC image-wise uh, was uh, the guitar player uh, Angus Young, um, you know, I, I think that was his that was his name. He uh-huh. he he had the the shorts he would wear. Yeah, the the, the schoolboy outfit is basically yeah the it school was. uniform. Yeah. And and um I remember the the video. There's a the for those who about to rock video where he seemingly you know you know throws his head back and forth for the whole duration of that <laughs> song. That's a long song, and I, I yeah. never really heard that. that term headbanging before that and I, I often wonder if he was like the one who kind of was the catalyst for that 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 term the, the headbanger it could you be because i mean he, he flails his head back and forth in that video for what seems like 10 minutes well, and i mean i was like man his head's gonna come off look at that i mean he's <laughs> he's a monster <laughs> and i just <laughs> you know? i just want to say uh, well i just know, like wanna... i said that i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you go ahead <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I was. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, I, that's just. I whenever I think of that term, I think of that video and him doing that. You know. Yeah, and and I just wanted to say to the audience, um, I don't think you realize what a special talent that is. What I want you to do is get up from your chair, go go watch that video on YouTube, <laughs> and then walk around your room doing that. I and you will after sixty seconds of doing that strut, you will fall down. 
it's not easy. <laughs> you, you will be so dizzy you'll fall down. So, yeah, I don't know um, how Angus Young did that and played guitar at the same time and ran and jumped around the stage at the same time. Uh, if I did that probably for 20 seconds, I would be on the floor. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, let's let's check out their um, title track. Uh, this, again, was a huge hit. Uh, one of the first songs I ever learned to play on the guitar when I was 12 years old. Back in Black. Back in Black from ACDC's Back in Black. And um, that is it. That's going to do it for this week's 1,000 recordings podcast number one. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a fun ride. And uh, we're going to keep uh, trying to do this um, every week, uh, you know, uh, with podcasting. Um, we're obviously not making any money. So we have real lives and real jobs and sometimes those step in. So uh, we might not be able to get an episode out every week, but we're going to um, endeavor to do that. Um, And yeah, I just uh, thanks a bunch, Mitch, for uh, for doing this with me. And uh, yeah. Hey, no problem. I'm I'm enjoying this. I'm having a lot of fun. Um, You know, definitely. uh, gonna look forward to doing it again um and uh getting more information uh you know into my own you know musical head as well as others hopefully yeah um it should be fun i mean um uh, just a little preview for the next episode i know we've got um some contemporary classical some opera uh some blues some rock and some jazz next time (laughs) so um yeah it's going to be an interesting journey uh, through this book. Um, and uh, really, um, we encourage all of, all of you listeners out there to send us an email with any of your questions or comments. Um, and you can uh, send those emails to uh, – oh, crap. I already forgot the email address. <laughs> uh, one second. It's um, one thousand. Oh damn! Hold on. 
I, what what you can do probably just go to go to facebook yeah look. i see it i see it now it's uh <laughs> oh my god it's um 1000 recordings podcast at gmail.com so that's one zero 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 recordings podcast no spaces at a uh, gmail.com um and uh we also have a twitter feed you can follow at uh, one thousand RP, that's one zero 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 RP, um, at Twitter. Okay, you can also go to our website at one thousand RP. That's one zero 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 RP dot blogspot dot com. Um, and um, you said uh, the book one thousand recordings to hear before you die has a Facebook page, right, Mick? Mitch? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah, and I, I've just gone there just to take a look and, and, and post a few things from the book in the past few weeks. Um, you know, cool page. Uh, you should go to it. Definitely go to it and like it. Great, yeah, and definitely you should, uh, if you're really interested in the music and finding out more about the music and, you know, just following us, journeying with us through the music, you can... Uh, I would strongly suggest buying the book 1000 recordings to hear before you die by Tom moon. Uh, you can find a link to that from our website to go buy this book. You can also find links to purchase. Very good read. Very good. Yes. And, and you can find links to purchase all the albums that we talk about, um, from our website. So, um, do that, uh, purchase music. People don't download it for free on the internet. Yes. I'm one of those people, but you got to, um, support artists, um, no matter if they're ABBA or Demi Mint ABBA. You know the artists need to be supported. Um, and uh, so definitely. definitely, yeah. If you hear something you like, um, go out and buy it. And um, uh, we will have a, our own Facebook page um, eventually, but uh, uh, we don't now. So we'll probably have that up by next time. Uh, and we want to thank uh, Workman Publishing, uh, who. Um, is graciously working with us on this podcast and making it possible. Um, and uh, yeah, is there anything you want to say before we go, Mitch? Uh, just again, enjoying the the process of doing this. Um, you know, as we go, I'm, I'm sure we'll get you know plenty of uh, positive and negative feedback. And I, I'm I welcome it all, and and I'm looking forward to the next podcast for sure. Oh yeah, I mean we'll uh, we'll definitely um, if we get start getting some email, read that on the show and respond to it. And uh, also, if you have a minute, if you like the podcast, hey, even if you don't like it, um, head over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review, and we would uh, appreciate that greatly. So until next time, uh, this is Anthony Joseph Landman. Uh, with Mitchell Davis um, for the 1000 Recording Podcast, and we will see you guys all next week later.